This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. by the Saints for a touchdown! Each your inside pass to everything Saints football. Jimmy Graham brings it down, and that is a touchdown, New Orleans! We'll take you to places most fans never go. To practice, to the sideline, to the locker room, following every twist, turn, and touchdown of the Saints season. That is going to be a touchdown! Taysom Hill! Taysom TD! Welcome to Inside Black and Gold. And that is going to be a touchdown again. And guess who? Mike Thomas. Now, here are your hosts, Steve Geller and Jeff Nowak. Oh, baby! Welcome Inside Black and Gold. Steve Geller along with Jeff Nowak. A 2-0 and edition. Man, the NFC South 2, the Saints needing to keep up with a division that suddenly uh, looks pretty impressive through the first two weeks at least. Yeah, there might be some imposters in that bunch. Uh, 2-0, 2-0, 2-0, 0-2. But, you know, all offseason, I heard about how the NFC South was a dumpster fire. And so far, the NFC South is 4-0 against non-NFC South teams. The only two losses in the division are from the Panthers to other NFC South teams. So, hey, you know, I I was told that none of these teams were going to win eight games this year so you know you're already a quarter of the way there two weeks into the season teams like the Bengals and the Chargers are 0-2 and the the Bengals look like they're in serious trouble with Joe Burrow yeah I mean yeah they're not tanking for Caleb but you know I I thought the Giants might be after at halftime against the Cardinals down 20 to nothing (laughs) they figure it out they come back and win I think the Cardinals might be doing a little little tank job there um, but we'll find out in the next few weeks. Uh, but yeah, the Bucs 2-0, like even, you know, even with the teams they've played, which obviously have not been remarkable, the Vikings are 0-2, the Bears are really disappointing with Justin Fields, who looks like he's completely gone backwards. But, you know, that, that, that division, and yes, so the Saints 2-0. It's the first time they have started 2-0 in a decade. Think about that. That's crazy. I was, uh, I'm going to date myself. I was a senior in high school. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I was, I think I, no, in 2013? No. No, 93. No. 
Oh, I'm That's, thinking about the defense. What are you talking about? <laughs> I'm thinking about the defense and the 20 points. Yeah, you, you might not realize this. Steve is just Steve's just a really old, like 30, 28-year-old kid. I, I got different stats going through the head. It was the wrong one. Yeah, 2013, not not 1993. But yeah, I think the stat you're referring to is they've held opponents to 20 points or under for 10 straight games, which which is the record going back to the Dome Patrol in 1993. But all right, let's just, just tell you what we're going to do in this podcast. Obviously, it's kind of the post-game podcast, even though we're a day late. That's what it's going to be for these later you know, road games. We can't get that live chat after the game. But so we're going to go through the, the th- my three up, three down, which is, again, going to be mostly like six up and four down. But we'll, we'll get we'll get through that. That's going to be the first segment is the, the up. Second segment is the down. And the final segment, we're going to get into the mailbag. But, you know, I mean, first things first this team and you look at this team and like what's different about it right the offense is still struggling the offensive line is is still trying to figure out its protection issues that that we saw last year uh trevor penning i think improved but he's still got a ways to go the interior offensive line looks like it's really struggling but somehow this team is two and oh right somehow you found a way to get there and i think you know when you look at this team to me the biggest difference is, is kind of intangible, but when you watch these games, you can see it because last year it felt like all we were talking about after every game was, oh man, if they only had made this catch, if they only had not had this dumb play in this big moment, if only Mark Ingram had run two, two yards further downfield, right? If only you didn't have three guys have balls bounce off their helmets in big moments that could have changed the game. And this year, it seems like, you know, you might have some mistakes. Obviously, the Derek Carr interceptions in both the first halves of these games were both ugly, and he takes it on the chin for those. He's, I think this time he said, I'm a, I was an idiot. You know, I, did, I read it wrong. I didn't, I didn't, you know, it was trying to make a hero throw. But when it comes down to it, when the game gets tight and you need the offense to go make a play, they've done it both weeks. They've found ways to win rather than finding ways to lose. And I asked Dennis Allen about that, and I thought his answer was uh, was pretty good. You've had the offense kind of go out and have that kind of killer instinct late in the game, not just win a game, but close the game. Yeah, it's awesome, isn't it? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, just awesome how we were able to do that in um, two weeks in a row. Um, you know, obviously, I don't feel like we should let it get to that point. Um, you know, but... Um, and look, I thought our offense... You know, they kicked the field goal there, um, you know, in the uh, was the third or fourth quarter, and, and the offense responds right back and goes down with a score of their own, you know. So um, that's kind of the way this team's built, and there's some ebb and flow to the game. And, um, you know, when, when defensively, uh, when the defense needs picked up, the offense has been there to, you know, to, to take over, and, and, and certainly the defense has done its part to help the offense. They didn't even let me finish my question. Um, and so, you know, as a defensive play caller, when you when you have an offense that's going to go out there and, and not only execute, but execute in a way that's going to slam the door on a game, both of these games, the offense found a way to make it so the defense didn't even have to go back on the field with any real pressure. You know, in, the, in week one, they salted away the clock. They're, the Titans never even got the ball back in a one-point game. This week, the Panthers got the ball back. Instead of being down one score, they were down four four three they were down three when the Saints got the ball back then they hand it back with about two minutes left with a 10 point lead 
even with the defense kind of getting soft and allowing that first touchdown of the season, you know, it was over. I mean, it was an onside kick, which is a very low percentage play, and the Saints recovered it. And so the defense, the offense made sure the defense never really had to sweat. And that is, you know, something I just don't think we have seen from this Saints team in a, in a couple of years now. You know, Dennis had to be stewing about giving up that touchdown at the end of the game. <laughs> I mean, yeah, they, they had really – this defense has looked damn impressive to start the year. I know they're not facing any juggernaut kind of offenses right off the bat, but what they've been doing is impressive. The stat now of, you know, we, were t- we talked about it a little bit in the beginning there. Holding teams to under 20 points nowadays, that just doesn't – it doesn't happen a, a very often in today's NFL. Ten consecutive games uh, that they have done it. The, that touchdown at the end, it was just, you know, the defense kind of – I felt like they got a little complacent. Um, but, yeah, I mean, this defense is in midseason form. And you, you've seen some mistakes here or there, but the pass rush erases so much of that. Um, Derek Carr's interception, the pass rush was able to to make it a non-factor because Carl Granderson forced that fumble. But, no, so, you know, you talk about the offense. One of the reasons this game felt – a lot easier than it was in the second half was, you know, Jamal Williams went down. This is my first stock up player that I'll mention. Jamal Williams goes down. The only tailback, now tailback specifically, you have on the active roster is Tony Jones Jr., a guy who has been in the league for four years, has been on three different rosters. He got, he got signed off the Saints practice squad by the Seahawks last year. He spent the offseason with the Broncos, got cut, and the Saints brought him back. And they had that much confidence in him that they were they were willing to have him be a practice squad elevation, knowing Kendra Miller was not going to be active. And he was the only other guy. And Jamal Williams went out with that hamstring injury. It didn't look good. I, I would be very surprised to see him back this week. And so I think you're going to see a lot more of Tony Jones. And while he didn't have a huge day, right, it was tough sledding. The Panthers' defensive line is very good. I think he had 12 carries for 34 yards. Those two touchdown runs, you know, you take them for granted, these short touchdown runs. But if you don't get in on first down, things get a lot more complicated. If you lose two, three yards on that first down and suddenly you have to figure something out, you end up kicking a field goal. That's a huge play for the defense. And not only did he score those touchdowns, he got it done on first down both times. Those were his first two career touchdowns. He says he kept both balls. One was for his, his wife. They got married recently. She's pregnant, so she wasn't there. But her name is Rebecca. She's getting that first ball. That second one was for him. He's keeping that one, too. He kept both balls. And it's like we've watched Tony... Uh, you know, come up as a UDFA, fight his way onto the roster, get some opportunities, but not really eventually ended up on the practice squad and didn't really get any chances out in Seattle, didn't get a chance out in Denver, even though he's kind of looked solid everywhere he's been. So for me, it's like my stock is up on him in general, just in terms of he was called upon and delivered, but more so than that, it's just good for him. Like that's an awesome thing for him after four years of just toiling in the NFL, just waiting for a chance. He got his chance and he delivered. I thought that was really cool. I just hope there's no scenario now in some weird kind of way we end up losing him. Like what happened with Latavius Murray last year, you know, uh, uh, I guess the saints ended up putting what Murray back on the practice squad. Well, Murray was always on the practice squad. So 
Yes. So it, it, here's the thing. You know, I was asked by uh, one person why the Saints don't just sign somebody to that open roster spot. They have an open roster spot. But one of the reasons you don't do that is Alvin's coming back next week. After the week three game, he gets added back to the roster. And so that fills that spot. So if you sign Tony, for example, to the active roster right now, you would have to cut him or somebody else. And I imagine it would be him because you're going to end up with Jamal Williams, Kendra Miller, Tony Jones Jr., and a fullback. There's just too many bodies. You have to lose one. And so if you were to do that, he would be exposed to waivers because he is not technically a vested veteran yet. And then if someone were to claim him, he would have to go there. Now, the difference when you poach someone off the practice squad is they have to agree to that deal. It's not waivers where you get claimed and you have to show up. So to me, I think that the difference is if someone came in and said, we want to sign you off the practice squad, they would sign Tony Jones to the active roster. Right now, it just doesn't make sense to do that because you would end up having to cut him. And I also think, you know, from what Tony said, he wants to be here. Like, there's a reason that he came back. Joel Thomas called him up and he was like, yeah, let's do it. Like, I'm coming back. I don't care if I'm on the practice squad. I don't care if I'm on the 53. He likes it here. This is this was his home for, you know, two, three years. So I don't think that, you know, if he 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 would get got a call by somebody else that he would turn it down. He would turn down the Saints. Like if the Browns called him up and like, oh, you want to be our fourth string running back? I don't think that that would be enough to sway him. So I I don't think you lose him, but, you know, there's a chance. I mean, he did look good. So there's obviously a chance. And if he finds a better opportunity, because that's what it was with Latavius. It wasn't about whether the Saints wanted to sign him or not. It was he saw more opportunity with the Broncos than he did backing up. Mark Ingram and Alvin Kamara here. So, I mean, that's kind of the, yeah. Yeah, and I mean, right right now the Saints are definitely hurting because we don't know what's, like you mentioned with Jamal Williams, I don't really see him being back in time for this week. Who knows what's up with Miller time still. You know, the, the Rook still. Sounds like he's going to be ready next week. So I, I we'll see. I, I definitely hope so. And then uh, uh, then after, obviously, the, the pack in week three, we finally get Alvin back. So the, I guess things are looking at least – it looks a little more positive, you could say, right there, running back. But right now, it's, it seems very dark. You got to get through one more week, however you can. Now, do you sign a veteran? I, I don't think you do. I think because you would end up having to, you know, coach him up. Maybe maybe Daryl Williams is still around. You could bring him back. Maybe call up Jordan Mims. He's been here for a couple weeks, just kind of hanging out. But it's definitely going to be a question because these are a lot of unproven guys, right? Like right now, Tony Jones Jr. is your most veteran player at that position. And obviously, you're going to see a big role for Taysom Hill too, which is what you saw in this game. But yeah, it's... That's that's the big question. But, you know, there is reinforcements on the way. That's the thing. It's like if you, you're not in the situation the Browns are where you're not getting Nick Chubb back, you got to find something, which, man, that injury was brutal. But, yeah, the Saints, they got to figure something out, and, uh, and, and I think they will. I think you're going to end up seeing a lot of Tony Jones because uh, I think he, he endeared himself to the Saints in a lot of ways. And I would imagine even if, you know, Kendra Miller is back, able to come back this week, how, how much involvement, you know, would he really have – or do they trust debut. him with, you know, yeah. right off the bat? No, it's a good question, right? And that's why Jamal, having Jamal was was really helpful. And, you know, I, I watched him on the sideline. He was in the injury tent for a while. Took, and, and I mean, and that's not a great sign. He came out, tested that leg. He did like a little sprint down the sideline, immediately just turned around, shook his head, walked back in the tent, did not look happy. So, I don't, you know, I don't think he tore anything. I think if you had torn something, 
it would be a little more obvious. You wouldn't have, they wouldn't have even given you that opportunity to potentially, you know, run through it. But yeah, I mean, it's a strain of some kind. Yeah. And hamstrings are tough to begin with. So, you know, I, even if he does make a really fast turnaround and come back, you have to plan for him not to be there, right? Like you can't plan on him being available. So let's move on. The next guy that I have as my stock up is Chris Olave. You know, we talked all off season about, Okay, can he get better in contested catches? He got a little stronger. He bulked up a little bit, you know, and and that catch down the sideline, I think it was for 42 yards. That's like the exact play he didn't make last year. He made a lot of really nice catches. He got open a lot. He's a great route runner. He almost gave him a heart attack, though. Right, yeah, we we can talk about that. Um, But, you know, there was just those moments where it was like, oh, Chris Olave had a chance to go up and make a spectacular catch, change this game right now. And last year, he didn't do it. Last year, it ended up on the ground, right? Like, he he didn't complete the process of the catch it ended up you know and and this year that's the type of play he's able to make and so I think from a progression standpoint you have to be incredibly happy with with how he has come but yes as you mentioned there was that little uh you know out of body experience there for a second I'm like screaming at the television and Bobby's like you know I'm watching it in the sports office with Bobby and he's like I think he was down he's all right and then I was like I don't think he was touched at best it was close Right. And then he's, you know, spins the ball. And then luckily the the Panther defender goes after the ball and it kind of squirts out of bounds. Well, thankfully, he didn't spin the ball because if he spun the ball, it would have stayed where it was. He spiked it, which is what allowed it to get out of bounds. But yeah, I mean, like he may have been touched. I never really got a good look at it because he didn't have to because it was never really a question. Um, But I mean, that was way too close. Like you'll see guys get touched, obviously, and still pop up and run because they just weren't sure. That was way too close to do what he did. And if that play ended with a spike and a fumble, a turnover, man, that would have been, you know, one of those examples of, why you're finding a way to lose again, huh? Um, But thankfully it didn't burn them. They got lucky. Uh, and yeah, but either way, I like it was such an incredible catch that I'm willing to look past that. Yes, I agree. Like you mentioned before, this year we're seeing already, luckily, the positive momentum, the arrow, the outcome ends up being for the Saints because the, the ball's bouncing the right way. There you go. Right. Because last year that did not happen at nope. all. And nope. I'll, I'll nope. definitely take that kind of luck or whatever you want to call it right now, because, yeah, the ball is bouncing their way currently. I agree. So let's get through a couple more of these. Uh, the defensive line. Last week, I gave it to the secondary because I couldn't single anyone out. This week, I give it to the defensive line because, you know, it seems like everyone is making a play every week. Carl Granderson had a sack. Nathan Shepard, I thought, had a fantastic game. Carl Granderson forced that fumble. Cam Jordan got a sack fumble, and it got negated by a, pen- a really dumb penalty by Paulson Adebo. Um, but I still give Cam credit for that. It's not his fault. You know, Brian Brzee recovered it. They're just making plays, and they're making life miserable on Bryce Young. And, you know, we talked prior to the game about how I thought the game plan going in was going to be you stuff the run, you stop the run, and you rush with four, and you force Bryce Young to beat you with his arm. And that's what Dennis Allen said after the game. That was the plan, you know, and he was not able to do it. And, you know, the defensive line, if you are, you knew the secondary is going to be able to cover, but even the best secondary in the world, if the guy has all day to sit back there and throw and pick you apart, he's going to pick you apart. You can only cover for so long, but in, in, when you have the pass rush and you can generate pressure with four guys and you can drop seven into coverage, you got to really, really work 
to find holes and he Bryce Young was unable to do it and so you know that defensive line that was one of my big questions going into camp is that is that rebuilt defensive line going to be able to get the job done and so far through two weeks man they look better than able to get the job done they look like they're a weapon yeah you know going into the season even with the additions you were like is it an upgrade for last from last year I'm not even sure right now we're gonna have to wait and see and yeah it's definitely looking legit right now up front. And I, I agree totally. Nathan Shepard, really impressive just being a, a wrecking ball out there. Uh, tackles for loss, you know, getting hits on the quarterback. You, you love to see that kind of pressure from the middle because that was not present last year. And man, Carl Granderson, you know, we can't keep saying enough of him, which is one of those training camp things we'd see at practice, writing in our notes or whatever. And at least that wasn't. A mirage that was really it wasn't translated so far into the regular season right now makes me feel a little better about trevor penning <laughs> right because at least no other left tackle has been able to really stop carl granderson either and again you know we talked about the defense of the offensive line and I mean, they're going to be in my three down segment but i thought you know relatively speaking i thought trevor actually did take a a decent step forward today. He still got beat a couple times. He's still learning. There's going to be moments, but I thought he took a step forward. He's not in my three up, but I think when I go through the film, which I haven't got a chance to yet, obviously, because it's, you know, we're not even 24 hours removed from the game. I think there's going to be a lot more positive things we can spot on the tape than we did a week ago. And so that's all you can hope for with a guy like that. Let's move on to the honorable mentions. The first one, again, I, you know, the, the one of these weeks, the offense is not going to have this many big plays that I can fit him into the three up, but he's in the honorable mention again. It's Rashid Shahid, the closer, the man in the big moments. And last week he ran by, you know, a Titans defender and it was like, yeah, okay. He just didn't expect him to run a go this week. He ran by Dante Jackson on a, on a double move. Dante Jackson, one of the fastest corner, maybe the fastest corner in the NFL. Like we know him from LSU. He's a, he's an Olympic class sprinter. Rashid just ran by him, and, I, and Derek Carr kind of talked about that a little bit. So here's that. I mean, I wasn't Mike, so unless he was or somebody around us, uh, nobody was Mike. Yeah, they got they they be hiding microphones everywhere. Uh, I'll, I, we talked about some things, but I don't think there'll be any videos. What would you say? Would you say, was it kind of a similar type of deal on that one? Was, it, was that a double move? I saw you pop on that. Yeah, it was a double move. Yeah, they had uh, they had been they had been playing aggressive, and you know Pete took his time with that shot. You know he knew that we had a few other completions that he liked, and we were able to hit those. And then that one just presented itself, um, you know, in that moment. And again, he's so fast, man. I, I ripped that thing, and he just tracked it down like it was nothing, you know. And it's unbelievable, unbelievable football player because y'all saw last week just the speed, right, the go route. Today he runs the double move. I've been saying he can run the routes, you know, and he's a good receiver. Um, but, you know, the, that, that threat to run by, especially a fast corner, one of the fastest corners in our league, he's a really good player. It says a lot about Rashid. And, um, you know, having that weapon is awesome for our offense and for me. Yeah, one thing you mentioned there that I think is worth, you know, calling out is, yeah, I think Pete, there's, you could, you kind of get this idea. It's like, wow, they could go deep every play. Well, no, like you want to set that play up, right? And that's what they did. And so they pulled it out in a big moment when they really needed it. And it's because they had set Dante Jackson up. They got him biting on these moves, on these initial like kind of comebacks. And then when they ran the double move, wide open and you know Derek obviously as he mentioned he's he slung that thing and you get to he crow hopped into it he 
gunned it out there and she just found it, you know, and that's for a guy who came up on the practice squad last year. We keep kind of wondering when he's going to reach his ceiling. Like, what is his ceiling? I, I don't know what it is. It just keeps getting higher and higher. Um, you know, he's a guy, he's caught nine of 10 targets this year. I think in his career, he has caught 37 of 48 targets. He's got like an 85% catch rate for a guy who goes out there and, and makes these, he's running low percentage routes. These are deep balls are low percentage balls. That's why you don't see a ton of them anymore. Cause everyone's trying to complete 70% of their passes and throw the ball close to the line of scrimmage. And meanwhile, you got Rashid having a 90% catch rate, 20 yards down the field. The stock just keeps climbing for him. And I, you know, I keep waiting for it to level off. It has not yet. I mean, we have Dame time from Weber state. What are we going to get from Shahid? Because yeah, he really is electric with the ball i know that's an an overused term too but man i I always felt that way like with camara you 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 have that chance with that when he's got that ball in his hand to make a move and just dust somebody and be gone and you mentioned too it's like we haven't really seen a ceiling for shahid yet which is even more exciting to see how more that he gets incorporated into this offense, and I, I don't know. I, I, it's really tough, I guess, for return men nowadays to get anything going um, with the rules and how they are. But, you know, when, when's the last time we – I'm trying to think of like a kick return, but there, there was probably one this week that I missed. I don't even know. He had one uh, that got stopped short of the 25. At a certain point, you just stop returning the ball because it's not even worth it. Um, yeah. But, you know, like he's going to break one of these kicks one of these weeks, right? Like you can see it's there. It's just a matter of, you know, finding that lane. And he's going to break some long touchdowns. Like we've we've seen the 40-yard completions on the spots, but we have not seen the 80-yard touchdowns that I, I'm sure are coming. And all it's going to take – you just need that protection to hold up. And that's what's been limiting them so far. But you've seen late in the game they've been able to figure it out. And that's a, I think that's a credit to Pete Carmichael in terms of you know making adjustments throughout the game and seeing what the defense is trying to do and the offensive linemen getting more comfortable as they go. Um, so yeah, I mean like this offense doesn't isn't good right now. That's the thing. They're two and zero, and I would say this offense has given you C performances through two weeks, both weeks. I would grade it at a C. But you know then that grade was probably a D until the fourth quarter when they came and closed it out. And that, and that's bringing it up, but you know, that's going to get better, you know? And so you're waiting two other guys we can hit. Obviously we talked about Taysom Hill. Taysom Hill is just Taysom Hill. He's that dude. I mean, people still out there with these terrible Taysom Hill takes. He's a guy who does everything. I think he had 83 yards on like nine touches. He's a running back. when you need a running back. He's a receiver. When you need a receiver, he's a quarterback. When you need a quarterback, he plays special teams. I mean, (laughs) he's like the ultimate fake punt guy. If you ever need to run a fake punt, there is no reason that anyone should be like, wow, Taysom Hill is limiting them in any way. Taysom Hill is a weapon that any team would be thrilled to have. And yeah, I mean, he's just doing his thing. I wanted Taysom, the quarterback, this game, a little change of pace because it wasn't pretty for Derek Carr in this game. I just thought that added Taysom element was a huge obvious bonus for this team. They never stopped it. No, right. It was like you knew it was coming and boom, there he just keeps doing it. Yeah, there's always a point where it's like at a certain you're just like, okay, I'll just keep running Taysom Hill until they prove that they have any answer. And you got four through four quarters of that game and they never found an answer. I mean, every time he took the ball, it seemed like he was gashing four, five, eight yards. You know, he never broke any huge plays. One negative one carry. I think that was it. Yeah, and it was like a toss. It was weird. But yeah, anytime it was like a QB power, 
got it done. He never broke any of those long plays, but it seemed like every every time he touched it, it was a chunk. And for when you're struggling to run the ball the way the Saints have these first two weeks, that's helpful. And at halftime, I was tweeting up a storm because I was sitting there w- waiting for the stupid halftime show to end. Feels like Carolina. You know, that whole nonsense. That was horrible. I might cut that out. Oh, but so people were like, how do we solve? How does the offense get better? And I was like, you have to run the ball. You cannot just stop running the ball because Jamal Williams is out. You have to run the ball. And I'm glad that the Saints agreed with me because it did seem like they came out in the second half with that first drive notwithstanding because they got pinned deep. And they just they stuck to the run. You know, they gave Tony Jones opportunities. He delivered. They gave Taysom Hill opportunities. He delivered. And everything got easier after they established the run a little bit. And I just think that's going to be the key for this Saints team is the offensive line isn't great. They might have a a bottom 10 offensive line, and that's disappointing. Hopefully they can get better. But when you – if you want to help your offensive line be better – You cannot allow opposing teams, especially these really good pass rush teams, to tee off because they know you're passing every down. You have to keep them honest. You have to run some screens. That's something we have not seen yet is screens in any capacity. And so, yeah, that that was big to me. The last guy I want to hit, and, you know, he's a guy who feels like he's flying under the radar, which as long as he's around flying under the radar, I'm okay with it, is Mike Thomas. I thought Mike Thomas had a great game. He ended up with six, seven catches for like 50-something yards. He's doing Mike Thomas things. He had that really nice catch on the sideline. He's physical. He can make catches in traffic. He's kind of been ho-hum these first two weeks. He hasn't had that monster game yet. But, you know, the, even the pace he's at, if he plays all 17 games at this pace, he would be on track for 100 catches at 1,000 yards. I'll, I'll take Mike right now. I think it was, what, six, seven catches each game now. Six catches week one, seven catches week two. Uh, no, five catches. Five catches for 61 week one, seven catches for like 55 week two. And that's, to me, that's, that's money. That range, like between five to eight catches, between 50 to 80 yards. Obviously, you'll have games above that. But, you know, like if that's your average, then that is perfect. You know, that's what you need is a, a chain mover because you have these weapons on the outside. You have these guys who can change games over the top. You need a guy who can go in traffic and just fight for a catch. And there's no one better at that. Uh, he had one catch. I think the first catch, the ball was thrown behind him. And I was like, oh, man, that's an interception. And he just goes out. Just he has just his hands are insane. And he just plucks it out of the air like, yeah, OK, that's where it was supposed to be. I got it. Don't worry. And so, yeah, I mean, he last year, he his foot gave up on him up on that crappy turf up in uh, Carolina. And so he got out of there without it. Uh, so that's, uh, you know, with, with no injury, um, hopefully that continues. Cause I just, I enjoy seeing Mike. I think Mike being out in the field just gives this team so much confidence. And man, he's just that guy, you know, when it's that third and long or, you know, like a third and six, Mike's going to come up with a first down for you. you. You know, that reliable presence he has in the strong hands, exactly what you were just talking about before too. He, he comes through for you, and I'm just happy to see him getting, you know, his due. Everybody was worried about what's this guy going to be like after missing, you know, most of the last three years of football. And hopefully, fingers crossed, this dude can stay on track and, and healthy because that's the only thing that's limiting him. The skill is obviously still there. Well, and in, in, like you mentioned, like the third and six, whatever, you know, he draws so much attention, right? And so 
you know, you see them be able to go over the top to Rashid Shahid because he's in one-on-one coverage. They, ha- they have no choice. They have to single him up. And it's because, you know, you know that if they want to, they can go down to Mike in the, and they can throw it to him in a, in a phone booth and he'll find a way to make that catch. And, you know, it just makes life so much easier and everybody else. So, you know, this was, we had these conversations last year. We we're talking about Jarvis and Mike and Olave and, the issue is they went out to Carolina and they came back and both those guys, Jarvis and Mike, their their legs, their feet fell off their legs. And so, yeah, I mean, the health is on their side right now. Knock on wood. They did lose Jamal. Hopefully we'll, we'll find out more about that uh, in the next few days. First injury reports coming out on Wednesday. But that's that's it for my stock up. And, you know, I, as long as there's six players that are worthy of talking about stock up. There are guys I didn't mention that probably could be. You know, uh, that, that, that means the offense is doing its – that means this team is doing its job and finding ways to win. And, uh, I, I mean, I'm, I, I've really enjoyed – these games have been ugly, but they've been a lot of fun. It's a lot fun, a lot more fun when you win these types of ugly games. A little shout out to Blake Groupie. It wasn't anything difficult with his kicks, but still perfect on the air. Keep keep doing it. Yeah, I mean, just keeps getting the job done. And uh, shout out to to Bobby Abear who called the score of this game. Yes, he did. Number. <laughs> and then in his post game, he said, "I didn't know how it was going to go." And, like he predicted the score. You clearly had some indicator anyway, because I know even you said it. I was listening. I listened to the rant, and he was like, "I didn't know I was going to go." I was like, "What are you talking about? You predicted the the final score." Um, you had it down to the T. <laughs> yeah, I. You know, I'm in a I'm in a pickums pool for uh, you know this kind of website that they asked me to do. I went four and one this week. Saints got it for me, two and a half. Um, the the Rams had the weirdest cover in the world. They decided to kick a field goal to go down seven as time expired. The line was seven and a half, covered that. The only one I didn't get, I took the Giants minus five and a half, thinking they're going to bounce back, and they did. The second half of that game, they completely dominated and won, but I lost that bet because it was minus five and a half. But I went four and one. I picked five games per week. I went four and one, so I'm proud of that. Betting with Jeff. Yeah. The next podcast. Yeah, I think I also got the Chiefs and I got the Titans because I had a feeling the Titans, you know, I watched, we watched the Titans last week. I didn't think the Titans were, they were, they were big underdogs at home. And I was like, I, I think the Titans are a better team and they're getting credit for. I think people were down on the Titans this week because they lost to the Saints and everyone went in down on the Saints. and like, well, if they can't beat the Saints, how are they going to beat the Chargers? And then they went and they went and beat the Chargers. So, I mean, I think that's, you know, if you're a fan of the transitive property. Is Staley already on the hot seat over there? They should. I mean, they must. Sean Payton should be the coach of the Chargers. I mean, it's so. Oh, my God. Both both of them are. You know, it's like that meme where the the guy's walking and he's looking at the like the girl that looks the same as his girlfriend. You know, they're both 0-2. And you see how that game ended? The Broncos game with the insane Hail Mary and then and then the failed two point conversion on the PI that wasn't called. To me is that Sean Payton effect of the no call there at the end. I'm glad oh, I don't have that anymore. It just it, like, it feels like all of the negative vibes from that have kind of like been exercised, like the demon of like that's how the Saints would have lost the game. Uh, anyway, right, a Hail Mary at the end, and you just need the two point conversion. Oh, and you get pass interference, no call. Yeah. Anyway, uh, this segment has drawn on forever. So let's close it out there. Uh, We're going to come back. We're going to talk some negatives. You're going to talk to the guys that did disappoint me this week. You know, we've already talked about a couple of them, uh, but we will we'll get into it. This is Inside Black and Gold. I'm Jeff Nowak. We're talking about Saints 20, Panthers 17, Saints 2-0 for the first time since 2013. That is quite a while ago. Steve thinks he was in high school. That's how long ago it was, Um, but he wasn't. 
That's he's he's actually gone senile. I, yeah, I've definitely gone senile. I got dome patrol stats on my brain. I don't know what happened but, there. Anyway, uh, this is Inside Black and Gold again. I'm Jeff Nowak. He's Steve Geller. If you haven't subscribed yet, please do that. We enjoy bringing this to you. Give us a rating. Give us a review. Let us know what you think. Let us know what you'd like to see. Schedule's been going to be a bit wonky this week, but we'll get back to it. Stick around. We're going to go through the three down, which is actually five down because I can't help myself. I have to take more than three. So keep it locked for that. And we're back on Inside Black and Gold. We went through the the up, stock up segment. Now we're going to go through the stock down segment. We're going to close out with a mailbag. Uh, it's going to be a long show because we went a half hour on the stock up segment, but I was just so excited to talk about it. These players, I'm not quite as excited to start talk about it. And you know what? Like, it's tough. Week two, I, I don't like trashing players. Guys struggle. You know, the goal is they can get better. You know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, bury anybody for their performance in week two i thought all in all you had some really nice showings um but a guy who i think really did struggle and it was an odd choice i thought going in and you know he he looked solid week one so i'm not gonna you know you're you're learning he is a rookie it's lou headley the punter you know you don't get a ton of chances to impact games as a punter and in a lot of instances, the only thing you can do you, you can do is not screw up, right? Like you you want to you want to get them in the most reasonable starting field position you can without giving them an advantage. And in multiple cases in this game, Lou Headley got the ball in a place in a situation where he could have flipped the field and instead gave Carolina, you know, a advantageous situation. The first punt of the game, he shanked it. The can the Panthers went down, kicked the field goal, got a 3-0 lead. Like that guy, I was the defense didn't sacrifice anything really. They allowed a long field goal attempt, but that's a that's a score because they were put in an advantageous position. I think they started at their own thirty-eight or something like that, and that's on the punter late in the game. He had a chance to pin them deep, and he kicked it through the end zone. And when you're that rugby style punter, it's going to look awkward, and your entire game is kicking it out of bounds. You know, kicking it inside the twenty, but out of bounds. So there's no chance for a return, and you're deciding what their field position is based on where it goes out of bounds. Well, on that in that case, he just bops it in the end zone. They get the ball at the twenty. And I think they went down and kicked a field goal on that on that possession. It, it set them up for a long drive. And, you know, you just you made the decision to, to not go with Gillikin, to go with the rookie. You know, I think he's going through some rookie, some growing pains right now. Thankfully, it didn't cost you ultimately in this game. He's got to be better. Uh, you mentioned it, too, when talking about the, you know, that punt, I think. Uh, both re- resulted the the shanks ended up in points for the Panthers, but man, oh man, the defense still did their job for the black and gold. The Panthers kicker Pinheiro, two kicks over fifty plus yards. That was pretty impressive from him. I, I was like, damn, that guy was booming him. Yeah, he doesn't miss. I think the you know uh, we were talking about this on the broadcast. The Saints, it feels like they haven't had an opponent miss a kick in forever. It's because they haven't. The last kick that was missed against them in a game was uh, against the Steelers last year. Every kick attempted since that point has gone through against the Saints. And so, yeah, and like, that includes like Nick Folk last week, a guy who showed up, you know, at the end of camp, went five for five. You know, I don't know what it is. The, the kickers gain superpowers when they go up against the Saints. Yeah, uh, the, but overall for Headley, uh, we're just hoping to see 
some improved play coming down the stretch because, yeah, he won't last long if those keep happening to shorten the field for the opponent for sure. Yeah, no, it, it's yeah, you got to be better than that. And, and I think he will be right. Like people are going to overreact because it does look a little awkward, but that's kind of the style. It's not going to look pretty. Darren Rizzi talked about that. Like you're going to see it and it's going to look weird. I had someone tell me he's holding the ball too long. And no, that's actually part of the you know, one of the reasons you see them hold the ball and they kind of extend a little bit is because you know, with that style, you're not getting as much hang time. But so you, so you kind of make up the gap there by holding it for maybe a split second longer, maybe taking a step to the left or right. And that gives your your coverage a little, that extra time to get down that they might be losing in the hang time. So, yeah, it's 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 a whole thing. But, you know, I think I think he'll get better again. He's a rookie. He's 30, but he is a rookie. And uh, you just, you know, yeah, either way, you know, he's the stock down guy. You had to pick somebody. So that's him. The next guy on this list. And I try to pick someone from all phases when I can. Like, I don't want to be too harsh on either side of the ball with these. And there is one guy on defense. I thought the defense, I thought I the gonna defense, say it's going to be hard for defense. Well, it, it is, but it's also like in a lot of these instances before I have the benefit of going over film, it's usually the guy who frustrates me the most in the game that gets the the criticism from me. And in this case, it's a guy who, you know, it's for, for a familiar reason. It's Paulson Adebo. And it's because while I think he's been really good and he's he's a very good cover corner, he's very physical. He's gotten the job done. He was my pick on the outside the whole the whole way. Like I was confident in him, and I'm still confident in him. But he has a really bad habit of getting penalties at the wrong time. Third and ten, you cannot be holding. Make the guy beat you. Like even even if he's gonna beat you out of the break, force Bryce Young to make that throw. And if you did that, if you just kept your hands off of him, that's a strip sack fumble. Saints, you know, and that's a put away type turnover at that point in the game. Instead, it's this really just dumb holding penalty. I think he had a the, the Saints didn't get a lot of penalties in that game. I think they only had three, but two of them were on Paulson Adebo. We had a pass interference later in the game that extended the drive, and I, you know, it, like those are the plays that I need to stop happening, um, especially in moments like that. Third and ten. You can't give up a five-yard penalty for a first down. If if he's going to hit that guy on a comeback route for 10 yards for a first down, fine. You live with it. You can't make it automatic. And so that's, you know, like that's that's my nitpicking on the defense. They were really good. I thought Paulson had a, a pretty good day overall. But those moments have to stop because uh, we saw it last year. We saw him give up that horrible pass interference to Mike Evans that really set up the, the Bucks at the goal line and they ended up winning that game. Um, you know, it just, it, it's it's something that has cropped up with him at inopportune times. And uh, so he's on this list for me today. I, d- I definitely understand, you know, nothing against Paulson, obviously, but yeah, the the untimely penalty is, is not great. Like you said, it's a third and 10 situation, you got to get off the damn field. And that was a situation where you, you were getting a turnover that ended In up getting the territory. Yeah. And like that, that that's a kill shot. Like, you know, you mentioned that too. Uh, at least though, that wasn't Paulson's only statistics of the game. Unlike the other person who has penalized this matchup. Yeah. So I know who you're talking about and he is, he's not on my stock down, but he is in my, dishonorable mention category. And so we'll skip the last stock down guy and go to that because you talked about it. Jimmy Graham, if your only impact on the game is a holding penalty, uh, that's bad, <laughs> you know? And there, there, there's, I've heard there's a vision for Jimmy. So far, I don't know what it is. And you're looking at a, at a team that decided to go into this game with two running backs and three tight ends. At a certain point, it's like, why is Jimmy Graham active? 
And, and it's like, you, you know, would you not have been better served with Kirk Merritt? And the only impact he had on the game, I think he had 10 snaps and then that, that one hold, you know, a, I like Jimmy Graham. I, I'd love to see him catch a touchdown at the Superdome. That would be fantastic. But it, it, is he just around as a novelty? Um, because at a certain point, it's working against you. Um, I, I don't think there's any issues, obviously, with health-wise, or else he wouldn't have been active. You no, know, look, Looking to anything that happened way back in L.A. during those joint practices with the Chargers. But I think we're pretty much past that, at least health-wise. I know legal issues, too. But, man, I, you know, what, what, the team in the red zone just not getting anything – like even attempted to him kind of seems just wrong. Yeah, and I, and I mean like the offense didn't really do a ton in the first half to merit it, and you had these big plays, and you ran the ball well, and I in the second half, and uh, I just think like at a certain point he yeah I don't think you cut him, but at a certain point is is he not on that inactive list right? Like I don't think I think you need more than two running backs active, and you saw it in this game why? Because running backs get hurt, and if you're if you're sacrificing that third running back. And just to have an extra tight end, you know, that's, you know, that that's a stock down for me, I, for sure, in that dis, dishonorable mention category. Yeah, definitely hoping we see something from Jimmy, because right now he has f- really just felt kind of ornamental. <laughs> it's a good word, ornamental. That's that's what it, it's what it feels like. And, and I mean, he is a leader, like it's that's not for nothing, but yeah. So let's go back to the last stock down player. So this is actually the third stock down player, and Jimmy's in that kind of secondary list. Derek Carr. You know, like, and and it's harsh. I think he has showed up late in the game in moments where you need to go win a game and he's gone and won them. But, you know, there's a point where these interceptions late in the first half are inexcusable. And in a tight game like that, you know, he he needs to go buy Carl like a watch or something because Carl Granderson saved them three points. They didn't end up scoring, which they got the ball in, in prime position to potentially score before the half because of that strip fumble by Carl. But Derek Carr, you know, Carl saved him from a horrible interception that would have at minimum been three points, if not for that turnover, maybe more. And, you know, that, that's two weeks in a row. We've seen it. And while he'll take it on the chin and, and talk about it like that, and that's fine. Again, I got, that's what he should do. And, and he's not wrong. They were terrible interceptions. You know, you got to be better than that. And I did appreciate what he said about the defense um, in his post game, and and uh, let's listen to that. That's really part of the season. I, like, I, I think a couple people said that was part of the reason you wanted to come here. Yes, that's a very big part of the reason. You know, um, any team that I talked to was a team with a defense. You know, and you know when I I played these guys. You know, I've play, I knew Da. You know, I, I know what it's like and how difficult it is. And um, all I want to do is win, you know. And so I was like, shoot, if I can go there and have a day like today, ha- didn't play my best in the first half, come back, play good in the second half and win a game. Like, I didn't have to be perfect for four quarters and we won like that. That is awesome. Um, I don't like that still. You know, we won, but it's still six. I, I should have played better. I-, I can help the offense more. I can do, you know, you, you sit back and you- I'm already analyzing it, right? Um, but to have that defense to hold us, keep us in there until we got clicking in the second half, I mean, it helped us, it helped us win the football game. What, uh, what happened on that interception? What did you see? Uh, well, I saw him coming down. I saw Chris going behind him. And when I saw him step down, I didn't even – it was a terrible read. You know, he – I knew he didn't have anything affecting him. I should have known he was going going to get back there. I saw Chris. I threw it. As soon as I threw it, I was like, you idiot. You know, like, it was terrible. It was my fault all the way. You know, we talked about this. That, that was one of the big 
talking points of Derek Carr coming to the Saints is, you know, why why has Derek Carr not had success throughout his career? Well, he's never played with a top 10 defense even. And so how do things work when he does? And so, you, you know, that's what he wanted. He wanted to play with a good defense because there are going to be moments where you don't play well. And it's nice when you can have one of the worst halves you've had in a while and still going with a 6-3 lead. And that's what happened in that game is they got to halftime and he knew he could play better. And he's but still doing that with a lead. Um, and so, you know, I, I, I appreciate the honesty from him. I do think he's going to get better. I think the protection is going to get better. The killer instinct instinct is something, you know, the, the, the ability to just clutch up and go win a game is invaluable, in my opinion. It's where the stat heads kind of miss when you're talking about quarterback play. It's like you can say, oh, he's, there's not a huge difference between him and Andy Dalton. The way those games ended is the difference. And But what I need is for him to show up earlier in the game. I would love a blowout win at some point this season. You know, like that would be nice. Now uh, you're just asking too much. But no, so he's in my stock down, not because I'm I'm out on him, but because, you know, he's disappointed me in the first half of both of these games. And but and I think he can be better, is, is basically what I'm saying. No, and the, the pick that he had, it was one of those, you had to double check, was like, wait a minute, did Jameis Winston go out there? Because it kind of looked like God's plan. Come on, like, what are, that's what the, are you doing? No, I don't, why, why are you hitting Jameis with strays? All he's doing is sitting there being like, yeah, yes. That, that's now become like a meme everywhere. No, that, that's uh, that's not fair to Jameis. When Jameis was in there, he did not make throws like that. that. That's the thing. He did make one throw like that um, against the Panthers, actually, and that was week two in 2021. It was before the half. He just made one of these YOLO throws, and it got intercepted. It was similar, but when I, I think one of the qualities that Jameis had when he was out there was not throwing these terrible interceptions in his own territory. So I don't think that's fair. Um, but Derek's Derek's got to be better than that. It was just reminding me of, you know, just go up and hope, hopefully he gets the kind of thing in triple coverage. Yeah, no, it was it was terrible. Yeah. And, and like the, the spot if and well, Jameis threw a couple interceptions with the Saints. And I think one of the reasons I didn't hate them was because, you know, you're in shot play territory. You know, the Bucks game last year, you're at about the 50 yard line. He's going deep to Chris Olave because, you know, it's like, OK, worst case scenario, it gets intercepted and they get it at the 20. In this case, it's like you can't make that type of throw in your own territory in a 6-3 game, you know? And so, yeah, I mean, and, and Derek's not, you know, he's not shying away from that. It's like it was terrible. He said that himself. And so, you know, like I, I fully expect to have him in the stock up category next week. But uh, right now he's he's been disappointing, I think. No, and the best part of it was the way you closed the game, obviously. Yeah, it's not how you start, it's how you finish. All right, you you mucked it up and had a terrible first half, but you didn't let that get to you and still made some key throws down the stretch, which obviously vital for the team. And, man, we keep seeing, yeah, that, that Shahid and uh, connection late seems to be pretty money. I, yeah, and I mean, I love Rashid so much. He's one of my favorite players uh, to watch and to talk to. And he's just he's just fantastic. Uh, so it's it's great to see that. The last one I'll say on the dishonorable mention side is the offensive line again. I'm not going to single anybody out until I'm able to go through the film. But you know, you look at that interior, and, and it's like man, we can talk about Trevor Penning, and we could say like, man, Trevor's got to get better. I expected Trevor to have some struggles. I did not expect Caesar Ruiz, James Hurst, Eric McCoy, these guys to be a sieve at this point in the season. That's what they've been. And at, at a certain point, you're going to end up facing offensive lines that are not as talented as the Titans and the, and the, and the Panthers, who I think are probably two top five defensive fronts. But you got to get better. And uh, that's got to start soon. 
Yeah, I just had the image of Ruiz like getting run over in, in my brain still. Uh, I, I'd have to watch things over again too. But and I, and I think you're right. You can't pinpoint it on any specific one person. It's still the unit as a whole for sure. And I mean, the Panthers are tough. The Panthers are in a lot of games and stunts. So do the Titans up front that you got to communicate well. And I think that's been a big part is there hasn't been the communication you need, but I expect it to get better. It's, you it's, talk about like the, the Panthers. I, I I found out about the name Frankie Lavu yesterday, the, you know, game day. I was like, the guy was everywhere. Louvu. Yeah. They, they, he got through a couple times. Uh, yeah. The Panthers are a good front. So you're going to give up sacks. You know, I, I get more concerned about the protection when it gets worse throughout the course of a game. Because you're going to have these plays that you're not familiar with. The defense might catch you with one with a stunt that you just were not prepared for. And you get a free rusher. If that's happening in the second half, like if you look good to start a game and you get figured out and they find stuff that's, that, that works against you and they just start hammering you with it, that's a bigger issue to me than, okay, they got you in the first half and then you came back and you found ways to counter it and you were able to get stuff going. That's what good teams do. And I think that's what the Saints have been able to do in spurts late in the games and so there's some positivity there but if you want breakdowns of offensive line stuff go check out deuce windham on twitter he's been breaking down all the trevor penning he, he has a video up there right now where he broke down all the sacks and all on both sides and he just he does a great job so check his his stuff out i think his podcast is called who Dat confessional it's really good um yeah he does the you know the film breakdowns where he's sitting in the corner you know which which i've always been jealous of because i don't have that type of green screen ability in my uh, in my life i do have a green screen but i'm not good at it so if you if you if you are interested in in the offensive line breakdowns because i don't pretend to be an offensive line expert i don't know what i don't know right but he he does actually know his stuff so I, i'd go check that out oh i, I laugh at everybody on on the social media that is you know talking about trevor penning's footwork everyone's an, everyone's an expert someone was like oh, i played high school i played football before you were born and i was like cool so did everyone who played football before I was born. That doesn't make you an expert. That just means you were alive. It means you're old. But all right, let's wrap this segment up. We're going to come back. We're going to hit a mailbag. So we're going to come back. We're going to dive into some questions. This is Inside Black and Gold. I'm Jeff Nowak. He's Steve Geller. We're coming at you after the Saints. 20-17 to 17 victory over the Panthers. That was a little bit more dominant than that score might make it sound. Saints defense has just been remarkable, and we're going to talk more about that. Keep it locked on Inside Black and Gold. back this is inside black and gold we're gonna be going through the saints mailbag i got a bunch of questions start in here first one uh thanks for the thanks for that tim uh says why is derek not seeing when it comes to our wide receivers or is this just growing pains you know i, I think you know he's talked a lot about this and uh i think there is some timing that they're trying to work out and then early in the game especially when you know you've seen in the first half of these games the offensive line has not given him a lot of time to operate gets a little happy feet and then he's going a little too fast both he and Rashid Shaheed mentioned this they were I think everyone was going a little too fast in that first half they were rushing things they weren't being patient enough and you saw the results you know there were some plays there was a throw to Chris Olave that Chris was open he, had, he was going out on a seven and it, you know the ball just sailed it just didn't get where it needed to go and I think those are the types of things that you know I think they are seeing the right things they're just not always clicking and I think later in the game as you get a little bit more in tune you you get that I think we took that for granted with Drew over the years that he always seemed on time and on target with these throws and he understood where guys were supposed to be and and what time they were going to be there 
And, you know, for now, I think you just kind of have to you have to accept that it's not going to be perfect every week. But, you know, it's going to get better. And I think we'll hopefully see it get better with an improved run game, too, obviously. I agree. Um, here's one here. That's scout with clout, scout without clout. It says it doesn't take a former offensive lineman to see Penning has unrefined footwork, leverage, et cetera. See, and, and this is going back to the comment I made about, you know, yeah, like there's a lot of offensive line footworks experts on Twitter these days. And and I no, I agree with you. Like, I don't think like I, I don't know what I'm talking about, but I can tell his footwork is unrefined and he's not doing everything perfectly. His leverage isn't right. He has his hips too far back over his heel, you know, he's on his heels and he's getting driven off the ball at times. He's not taking the right angles to to cut off these wide sets you know those are the things that he needs to work on my issue is there's a lot of people who are saying he doesn't have the ability to improve that footwork like they can see from these reps that he just is not that he does not have the athleticism to be able to improve in that regard and that's the part where it's like you, you that's that's nonsense like his athleticism is off the charts He's got to get better. And so that's that's where I kind of come in with that, where it's like, like, yeah, I, I think anyone can see in week one that he was struggling with his footwork, that things didn't look right, that he didn't look confident. But, you know, the, the culprits are what I want. I don't need people to tell me, he's like, he was bad. I, I know he was bad. But uh, pretending that you're that you know exactly what's going on in the guy's head, what he was supposed to be doing, where he was supposed to be, that's the part that it's like you talk to people on Twitter and they'll be like, no, 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 I called this play. What are you talking about? I've been coaching him all off season. I know what he is anyway. Uh, we, we just definitely need to see the, the offense being able to finish, uh, especially early on. To me, obviously, you look at the numbers from last game and just as a whole, the offense wasn't able to put the Panthers away and they should have been able to early on. Agreed. So Ransom Antoine here, this was an early question, so I, I don't know if he's still hanging around, but thank you for the question. It says, besides the offensive line, what do you think this offense is missing? And, you know, I think it's missing Alvin Kamara. <laughs> Uh, I mean, well, you know what, what I, again, and I, I was harping on this at halftime. If you follow me on Twitter, I think I sent out at least three or four tweets in all caps. Like you have to run the ball just because Alvin's not there. You lose Jamal Williams. You cannot sacrifice that part of the game plan and allow Brian Burns and Derek Brown. You can't allow these talented offensive linemen to pin their ears back and just constantly be coming at you. You need to slow them down in some way. And even if the run game isn't ripping off big gains and you have to trust Tony Jones Jr. who did not put the ball on the ground, kept it secure. You know, I think that's that's one of your concerns is that and then pass protection. I think he did an excellent job. It's one of the reasons he was one of my stock up players. But, you know, the, you could not establish the ground game against the Titans. You could not establish the ground game in the first half against the Panthers. You were able to in the second half. And I think you what you saw is everything got a lot easier when you were able to keep defenses honest. And, you know, when you get Alvin back, that'll be a lot easier and you won't have as many questions about how many snaps you really want to give Tony Jones Jr. How much can you trust him with the playbook? You're going to get Alvin coming in hungry, coming in at a shot out of a cannon. To me, that's what the, that, that will make life so much easier on this offensive line uh, in general and on this offense in general. Yeah, we're, we're definitely missing the run game. And yeah, Alvin is definitely that. Uh, we saw a little bit of him in preseason game number one of the Chiefs, and I think he was averaging, what, over four yards a carry in that game, and we haven't seen that kind of output from any other running back on this team, though. This Rich Vitale says, Kareem Hunt would have been a perfect standing for Kamara. Jamal Williams is not the right style for this team. Well, so I disagree with the Jamal Williams is not the right style for this team because Jamal Williams, paired with Alvin Kamara, 
makes a ton of sense. Jamal Williams as the RB1 is tough, and we've seen kind of the limitations there. I mean, Kareem Hunt never signed anywhere, right? So this idea that they should have gone and got him, clearly something happened in that physical with the Colts that has scared some teams off. So, you know, there's... The, you know, it's not like the, the, there's people like if they want them, they can still go get them. The, you know, the, there's uh, clearly some issues there. So I don't think it's a you know, I don't, I don't think he's on the table. No, and I, to me, I thought it was a, a money issue. Kim wanting whatever number that th- these teams aren't willing to, to pony up. No, because if that was the case, he would have signed with the Colts. There so was a physical issue. A, a health thing. Yeah. He would be signed somewhere if it wasn't a health thing. I guess we'll find out soon enough. The Browns might call him back up. Yeah, right. He should have stayed on the Browns. This would have been his year if he had stayed with the Browns. Here's 992 RAS. You should never think the play is over, no matter what. Well, I, I assure you that uh, every, like the, the coaches are like, Chris, this was one of the best catches I've ever seen. What the hell were you thinking? <laughs> And it was so quick. What made it so worse for me and why I was that heavily invested, obviously because it's the Saints, but I have Olave on my fantasy team and I'm like, what are you doing? Oh, so I, I tweeted the picture of him stepping on the sideline and you, you like I had at least seven replies of like, you know, the people showing me the score, how they lost by like, you know, 0.2 and like 0.6 because because that play got overturned because uh, either they had Derek Carr or Olave because Tony Jones ended up taking that touchdown. Um, yeah, that's. That's a, you know, that's if you want to be critical of Chris Olave, the sideline awareness there could be better. And uh, yeah, but uh, <laughs> don't spike the ball, man. Don't spike the ball unless you're in the end zone. <laughs> For whatever reason, obviously, he thought he was down. But even even if he was down and like, I think this is what the coaches are going to tell him. I'm pretty sure that if you had an officiating crew that was a little more, you know, in its own head. You could have flagged that for unsportsmanlike conduct. You're supposed to get up and hand the ball to the ref. Spiking it in the field of play, you could say that's a delay a game or whatever. Like that's not what you're supposed to do. So the refs didn't give him a flag there, but they, you know, they probably could have. And and you would really have no argument because it was a foolish thing to do. It was just he was in it. That's an incredible catch. He made it. Guy, you, you gotta you gotta be smarter than that. Um, but yeah, it's it was definitely not a not a great. Mo- it was a, an incredible moment by him, followed by a, a one of the dumber things I've I've seen on a football field. And we what we said earlier on too the the bounces right now are going our way. Let's keep it going that way too. Agreed. Yeah, I mean, like the fact that it bounced out of bounds, you know, like uh, you know, good for good for him. <laughs> there was one more here from the same character that is true uh you know i said that they taste didn't break any runs he technically did and this this comment points that out with that last run he had he went down he probably could have scored but he slid he did the you know the team first thing which i was i was rooting for him he should have just gone in and scored i think that would have been more fun but yeah he, he did the smart thing he did the thing that's going to get praised in the film review right after chris alave gets gets raked over the coals a little bit for uh you know the, the boneheaded spike there what's good is obviously it didn't hurt the saints teachable moment and i'm sure olave won't do that again now yeah and i'm sure Taysom will continue to do that because if you remember if you go back to the jets game 2021 i believe that was one of his starts late in the game the jets basically just allowed him to run for like a 
40, 50 yard touchdown. And it was like, he could have gone down and ended the game. And instead he just kind of kept running and scored a touchdown. And I think that's kind of like, I'm sure after that game, he heard about that and he was just like, yeah, okay, fine. You're right. And so now, you know, he, he kind of, it's, it's a, it's kind of a funny thing, but you know, you, you give him credit there uh, for, for being aware of it. It's Tim Fabenro says the hope is to use Alave and Alvin in motion. And yeah, I, I agree with that. I mean, when you get Alvin back, you're going to have a lot more options in your offense. No question about it. One more game. <laughs> Just kind of sitting here waiting. Like it's going to happen. It's going to happen. He's going to get there. He's going to get there. Uh, here's a, here's one with scout without clout that I think is a good, a good question is, you know, if Andy Dalton had started that game, would the result have been different? And I, I said this going into the season, if the Panthers were serious about winning this year, Andy Dalton would be their starting quarterback. And it has nothing to do with Bryce Young. It has everything to do with rookie quarterbacks are not ready to win right away. And they uh, decided to, to get Bryce Young the experience and get him out there. And, you know, he's going to get the trial by fire thing. But, you know, go through the history of the NFL. There are very, very slim number of quarterbacks that started immediately as a rookie and had immediate success. Even guys like Joe Burrow, who have had a ton of success. He struggled his rookie season and then he got hurt. Pat Mahomes didn't start as a rookie. Aaron Rodgers didn't start as a rookie. Tom Brady didn't start until the end of his rookie season. Eli Manning did not start until late into his rookie season. Peyton Manning started right away and had one of the worst rookie seasons you'll see from a guy who went on to be a Hall of Famer. Um, You know, Kyler Murray had a good rookie season. Probably a good example of someone who's like, yeah, he was good as a rookie. They still lost a ton of games, right? Anthony Richardson and the Colts are going to lose a ton of games this year. CJ Stroud and the Texans are going to lose a ton of games this year. It's just what happens. So I don't know if they win that game with Andy Dalton, but they have a better chance with Andy Dalton in there, especially with Andy knowing what he knows about the Saints defense. Um, I think they were like, I was way more concerned going into this year thinking Andy would be the starter. And then they put Bryce Young in there as the starter. And I immediately was like, okay, pencil in a win. Cause it, it was always going to go that way. What was Carolina doing with those odd packages where they brought Dalton in for what a handoff? I think they don't want to run Bryce Young on quarterback sneaks because <laughs> he's so small. I genuinely think that's what it is. They don't want to get hurt, it, which is just strange. Yeah, I was like, what's going on? Well, and so Deuce uh, on the broadcast made a really good point. So that first time they brought him in, there was a false start. And, you know, when you're, when you're an offensive lineman, you're going off the voice. You're going off the sound of the quarterback calling the snap count. And... Suddenly, after an entire game of hearing Bryce Young, you're hearing a different voice. And it's, you know, I think that that's probably what happened there. And they just got the cadence wrong and they, they false started. And instead of a, you know, fourth and goal or fourth and short, you add fourth and six. And they ended up, I believe, kicking a field goal. But yeah, that was that was strange because it's not like a Taysom Hill, you know, <laughs> like Andy Dalton. No one's going to accuse him of being a premier athlete at the quarterback position. Um, it was it was odd. Um, but that's the only thing that made sense to me is, you know, they Bryce Young is like 5'10". 190 pounds soaking wet uh, and you're just like yeah, I don't want to I don't want to see him get crunched in the off in the in, in the line there that does make sense then if you if you're thinking about using him for the sneak for sure yeah uh, but then but then they didn't they he did he handed the ball off uh, so <laughs> maybe because it was like oh you think he's gonna sneak it and we're gonna try and be cute yeah it's like rock paper scissors where it's like I want to throw rock but he knows I like rocks 
So I'm going to throw scissors, but then it's like, damn it. And, you know, I overthought it because he threw paper. Anyway, no, that, that, that didn't work. But you, you get the idea. Yeah, I think you're yeah, – or the Princess Bride. Have you seen the Princess Bride? Oh, of course, yeah. Where he's talking about the wine, and he was like, oh, but you knew that I would know that you were doing that, so obviously it's in your cup. But you knew that I was smarter than you, and so you thought that I would know that it's in my cup, so now it's in – anyway. And it was in both cups because they failed either way. You got it. Um, anyway, yeah, no, I think it's a good question because, again, you know, I think – if you're the Panthers and you you had serious idea that you're going to win this division, yeah, you would have gone with Andy Dalton to at least start the season, right? Like, I think that's if – if I'm a GM and you don't always have that luxury when you trade up to the number one pick and there's a lot of pressure to get this guy on the field right away. But I've always felt like – like the way the Giants did it with Eli, right? He was the number one overall pick, but they had Kurt Warner and they played Kurt Warner until the season was effectively over. Like until they, they really didn't have a chance and then they put him in there without pressure to get better, right? Without the, without the idea that me losing these games for my team is losing us this season. And, and I think that's not, that's not helpful to a quarterback's confidence. You're just teaching them to get comfortable losing. And I don't like it. Um, and I think, the, I think the Panthers are making a mistake. I was definitely, you know, when they made that announcement very early, too, that Bryce was, they were going with him to start the season. It was like, all right, then. I thought for sure, too, you get, you ease him into it and let Andy take over. And I was kind of worried facing Dalton on Monday Night Football, even though he is primetime Andy. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Here's another one from Scout Without Clout. We talked about that Adebo penalty. He says that forced fumble was a really odd call. I didn't see the replay on the broadcast. Flag seemed really late. I, I did see the replay. I mean, it was a hold. I mean, it was a bad a bad play by Paulson. I mean, but it was a hold. You know, he, he gets kind of leaning the wrong way at the top of the route and just grabs him as he's trying to work his way back. But that, again, that's what's frustrating to me is if he's not trying to beat you over the top, there's no excuse to hold there. Right. Like if you're if you're trying to avoid what could be a 80 yard touchdown or whatever, then then, you know, you you hold or you do whatever you got to do. If he's working back to the quarterback and you're just trying to stop him from getting an eight to 10 yard gain, you got to let him do it. But but, you know, that was it was the right call. It was it was a bad hold. And that's why I'm a little critical of Paulson today. Yeah, in an unfortunate situation, obviously, when it occurs to in a in a prime time to get the ball back. Agreed. So Rich Vital brings this up. How about that ghost tackle by May? That was one of the more fascinating uh, uh, out of body moments I've seen in the NFL. Yeah, but see, to me, it's like I I, I believe that he thought Bryce was going to slide. He didn't, and he didn't want to get flagged. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure that's what he would that's what he would say. And I think you know the reason that happens is because quarterbacks get all the protection in the world and even when they're runners you never know and yes I think that he expected Bryce to kind of take that last second slide or do something and it's like even like you can say that they're a runner and they don't get the protections he's 5'8 whatever you want to say he's tiny if Marcus May lights him up and puts him into the dirt he is getting a flag 100% he's also probably getting a $30,000 fine in the mail so I think all of those things are going on in Marcus May's head all at that moment, and he just freezes. He's like, how do I tackle this guy? I don't know how. How am I supposed to tackle this guy in a way that will not get me in trouble? Do I have a pillow that I can put down and lay him comfortably on? And he was like, oh, no, I left it at home. Crap, how am I supposed to tackle him now? And, yeah, so it, it's not a great moment by Marcus. But, again, it's like I, 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 there's that scenario a hundred times where you could see that tackle made and still get a flag. So, And then it's 15 yards on top of that. And, yeah, it's definitely not, not his 
brightest moment, but I actually think Marcus has played reasonably well um, this season. I think, you know, the, the back end of the defense has not been talked about a lot, and that's because it's been playing very well. And, you know, there's been nothing, there's really no explosive plays to speak of um, in either of these games. You know, the big question, you know, was a joke for a while. What is a catch? I don't even know anymore in the NFL. Well, you know what? You see tackles that are getting flagged. Well, penalties that coming out on just tackles that you it's a nice hit on a quarterback and, and it's getting ridiculously called. So that to me in that scenario is what happened. I I, I was do, going through that process with Marcus May, too. So I felt it. Here's an educated guess. Says, Carr made a lot of big passes last night. It was overshadowed by the interception and a lot of bad play calls in the red zone. The red zone passing routes are not disruptive. No flat routes flat route are that. I mean, I agree. Carr made some nice throws in the second half of that game. But, you know, even by his own admission, he was rushing things in the first half. He was not playing well. And that's where, you know, it's like there's, there's going to be a point where that's going to cost you a game. You know, because you're going to face better offenses. You're going to face more dynamic offenses at some point this season. I don't know when it's going to be. But, you know, the Falcons are going to want to run the ball down your throat. And can you can you win a game where they're controlling the ball? And can you get stuff going in the first half, right? You know, they're going to face a lot of solid defenses. And he's got to show up. And, you know, this is a team that expects to be in the postseason. You know, you, you, this is this. That's not you. You can't win a playoff game the way you won that game uh, yesterday. So you need to see that improve as the season goes on. And while I, you know, I think the criticism of Carr shouldn't be overshadowed by the fact that he made a dumb interception two weeks in a row, but it can't be ignored. I mean, that's the type of throw you can't make. That's the type of throw that can cost you a game. Things are going to get pretty ugly soon if the Saints don't get, uh, you know, more efficient with the offense getting into the end zone, especially when, once they do get and, you know, uh, red Zen, Zen territory. Uh, forget the criticism of Carr. There's going to be a lot of heat on Pete Carmichael, too, obviously. Agreed. So we got a we got a compliment from Marco Hernandez, a sweet Super Bowl hat hanging up, Steve. And, uh, you know, I got got a lot going on here with the, with the pennant. And uh, a lot of these are free. There's a pennant. I got from the Superdome. They gave it to me. The Dome Patrol poster I got from the Superdome. They gave it away. I just put it on the wall. So, yeah, the, 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 uh, the uh, Mardi Gras beads, that's from the Pelicans. Uh, the Funko Pop uh, is, is mine, but the King Cake Baby is from the Pelicans. Uh, so, yeah, I, uh, I like to crowdsource my, my swag. <laughs> King Cake Baby, like, wards off evil spirits, too, because they're, they're frightened of him, for sure. It's also broken. My dog knocked it down, or my cat knocked it down, so it's, like, super glued in there. It's not standing on its own two legs anymore. And that's actually, so, the thing it's in... So it's in the crown. It's standing in the crown. Let's see. Uh, and that's actually the crown from the Julius Randall bobblehead giveaway because I have all these bobbleheads, but my cats jump up on there and knock them off. So the Julius Randall one is in, sh- it's in pieces, like it's gone. And so I took the King Cake Baby, which is also broken, and glued it inside the Julius Randall crown. <laughs> and that's, that's where it is. Anyway, <laughs> I know every, everyone needed that information. All right. So last one. T. Deasley, that wasn't a nice throw, that 45-yarder to Shahid in the fourth quarter. It was an absolute laser beam, and it, it was. It was a nice throw, and it, Carr said it, and he's like, I rifled that ball. And, uh, you know, I, I think that's a situation where it's like, 
can you overthrow a guy? Because I'm not sure you can overthrow Rashid Shaheed. He's going to go get it. And it's really the only thing you can do wrong. And we saw this earlier in the offseason, right? Like earlier in camp, we saw, uh, I think it might have been Jameis and, and Derek may have had one of these, where it's like they were throwing deep to Shahid and he had to slow down and come back for it because they underestimated just how fast he was. And it's like all, and Bobby's talked about this. I can't remember who the player was. Uh, but it was like, yeah, it's like, I, I, there, I, there's no timing there. I'm throwing it as far as I can because I know that the only thing I can do wrong is throw it to the point that he has to slow down so that guy can catch up because I know that he can go get it and that guy can't. And so I think that's what Derek Carr did well on that throw is he didn't force Shahid to break stride at all. He forced Shahid to go faster and go get it. And he can. He has that extra gear. Um, and we've seen it two weeks in a row, and I love it. Uh, that's, that's a very – you know, when you can force defenses to have to cover you deep late in a game when they think you're going to run, <laughs> uh, it, it, you know, then you can actually run it. Um, and so, yeah, like it, it's it, – that the, the connection there is fantastic, um, and it's going to make things a lot easier. A little bit going a touch on the the down segment could have included maybe a Jawan Johnson just for the fact I thought he'd be involved a little bit more right now. But man, that lethal combo that that trio of Saints wide receivers is hell of impressive right now. Love and Olave, Shahid and Thomas. I think they're going to you know continue to do great things on the year. But the tight end spot, I guess, still a question. Uh, we saw Foster, you know, make some nice grabs. Catches, yeah. But but Juwan, I, I thought, would be involved a little more at this point. Uh, maybe it's a, a something that's still to come because there's certainly not for a lack of ability there from him. Well, what I'll say for the tight end position in general, uh, so Juwan played 62 snaps in that game. He was on the field pretty much the entire game. Um, but he wasn't really targeted in the passing game. And I think what you're seeing these first two weeks is the offensive line is struggling. And so what do you do when the offensive line struggles? Well, you got to keep extra bodies in the block and you got to keep the tight ends in to help chip. And that limits what you can do splitting Juwan out in the passing game, having him line up in the slot and run downfield because it doesn't matter if he gets open downfield, if Derek Carr is on his back. Um, and so I think that's a, that's a big piece of what's happening with the tight end room right now. And the lack of production is you need their, you need them in to block. And so they're not running as many routes as you'd like them to. And when they are running routes, those are, those are the plays where Derek Carr is running for his life. So yeah, I think they'll get better, right? I think the, as the offensive line gets better, you can get a little bit more aggressive with the tight ends, but you know, that's, it's a position that when you need them to block, they got to block. Um, and so, yeah, that's, I don't, and, and that's why I don't want to put him in the down category. Cause I don't think he's doing anything tangibly wrong. I think that's just when your offensive line is struggling, that's the position that gets limited them, the tight ends and the running backs in the passing game. When your offensive line is struggling, it's going to, that's directly what it's taking away from is the ability to get downfield with your tight ends and your running backs. Totally makes sense. When you mentioned, obviously all the snaps he was involved in, I, I just wasn't sure because it seemed like he was just MIA uh, on Sunday, on Monday night. Sorry. No, he was there. Right. That's I, I, when I saw the snap counts this morning, I was stunned because I would have assumed that he was only in for like 30, 40 snaps. But no, he was in there basically the entire game. I think he had only uh, Chris Olave had more offensive snaps than him, uh, independent of offensive linemen and quarterbacks who were on the field basically the entire game. And then Mike Thomas, 60 snaps, which I... To me, it's like if you had any questions about their ideas of his durability right now, he's on there. He's out there 60 plays, and I think they only ran something like 82. Um, so it's like 90% of the snaps. And uh, so, yeah, 
um, I think both those guys, you know, they're part of part of what they do well is block. And so that's why they're out there a lot. Yeah, see, that's that was something for Juwan, though, too, that was a knock on him getting that switch to tight end was his need to improve the blocking. So obviously they're confident that that's at least gone to a point they can rely on him to, to hang yeah. back. So that's good. But yeah, I think there's there's going to be a game before long where we see that vintage Juwan Johnson. But to get there, you need the offensive line. Um, but all right, let's wrap this up. Been going for about 90 minutes here. I think we've gotten to a lot of good content. Thanks, everyone, who dropped in a question. You know, we, I don't think we got to them all, but we got to a lot of them. And, uh, you know, I appreciate everyone who, who's in here every week. I do enjoy doing these live chats. We need to start doing more of them. Hopefully, as the schedule kind of gets more normalized, we don't have a Monday night game the rest of the way. We have a couple Thursday night games. That's going to be kind of weird. But hopefully, we can start doing a more regular live chat. Um, yeah, what's up, Steve? They're not doing uh, flexing Monday night games this year, huh? Or are they? I don't think they're flexing Monday night games, but they're flexing Sundays. Yeah. So, like, theoretically, the Saints could get flexed into a Sunday spot. But the way they're played, the, the way these games have gone, I don't think anyone's clamoring to get them on national television uh, with these kind of rock fight games. I, I think I've mentioned it before. We've talked about it definitely, though, at some point. That last game of the season against Atlanta could very well be. You never know what could happen. Yeah, NFC South on the line. They, they might be attracted to that. I mean, yeah. I mean, right now it's, uh, you know, going to be a 15 and one team against a, or a 16 and 0 team. Yeah, right. Exactly. Uh, the NFC is going to win the, the first game. The strength of the NFC, like everyone saw it. Yep, everyone saw it coming. Three two and zero teams in the NFC South, and Baker Mayfield's Bucks are one of them. <laughs> the only the only team that isn't hasn't won a game is the team with the number one overall pick. Tanking works. Anyway, so you know, well, this week coming up, obviously Sunday headed to Green Bay, and then boom, it'll be back to see those Tampa Bay Buccaneers led by Baker. In the Dome! In the Dome! I haven't, it feels like I haven't been in the Dome in a month, because I wasn't out there for week one, and it, like the last time I was out there was the Texans game. <laughs> it's been a while. But alright, let's wrap this up. This is Inside Black and Gold. Thanks everyone for listening. I'm Jeff Nowak. He's Steve Geller. If you haven't subscribed yet, please do that. You can hit me up on Twitter at Jeff underscore Nowak. You can follow Steve at Steve Geller WWL. You can follow the show at Saints underscore pod. Check out WWL.com for the latest Saints content, news, notes, and analysis. We've got a three up, three down, which we went through on this show. So if you want to go check out the text version of that with all the write-ups, it's on WWL.com. we got Bobby Bear's rant up there if you want to check it out. And, you know, as always, just thanks, everyone, for listening. You know, if you have anyone who's looking for a Saints podcast, send it along. That's all we ask. We don't charge for this podcast. All I ask is you to be like, hey, you like the Saints. Why don't you listen to this, right? I think, you know, I don't, I don't think it's asking too much, right? I think that's fair. Right, Steve? I would definitely recommend it highly. We are here to bring you the latest and greatest from a team. It was a rough go to start last year, but at least we're, you know, getting into the more positive flow this season. It already feels so much different. God, it's just, it's so nice to talk about a team that won a couple of games. Actually, yeah, last year was a slog the whole way, but, but all right, y'all. Thanks for listening. Who dat? Go Saints.